0: Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast series, Catching Up With, where we'll be chatting to the people who played a part in Watford's history, whether on or off the pitch. My name is John, and you're getting this podcast via from the Rooker End. But for this new series, we're joined by fellow Watford supporter and regular book writer Lionel Burney. Hello, John. Lionel, in, in the writing of all the books that you've written, it be Enjoy the Game or a volume of Tales from the Vicarage, uh, you've talk to uh, lots of Watford people uh, and the idea that you came up with uh, for this podcast is to go back uh, and chat to some of them again well I've
1: interviewed a lot of former players and management People and coaches from Watford's. Well, the last thirty odd years, probably in longer now, for nearly forty years, I've always written those interviews up in book form. But my kind of my day job is podcasting now, largely thanks to you, John. <laughs> you you um, you were you planted a seed. I co-host the cycling podcast. For anyone who doesn't know, and one of the things that I really enjoyed when I was getting to grips with this as a medium was going and doing long-form interviews with people and. Not really interviews, conversations, so I think there 's a distinction between an interview where you are sort of mining for information that you can then put down in black and white uh, you know and you 're looking for those neatly rounded quotes where people say everything perfectly and then you can almost sort of see the full stop at the end. The difference with these kind of interviews they 're more conversations and and there is room to kind of deviate off and, and explore some different areas but the bedrock, the the sort of the the anchor, is their association with Watford Football Club. So it's not like uh, we're going to find out necessarily what they're up to now, although that might come into it. But it's 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 a podcast for Watford supporters.
0: So our aim with these podcasts is to come out on a monthly basis near the beginning of the month, and for the first few episodes, we'll be catching up with former midfielder Andy Hessen promotion-winning manager AD Boothroyd. But we start in this episode with Sir Nigel Gibbs. Lionel, why is starting with Nigel such the perfect beginning for this series?
1: Well, he's Mr Watford, isn't he? Only one other person has made more appearances in a Watford shirt than Nigel Gibbs, and that's Luther Blissett. Nigel would have smashed that record had he not been injured for the best part of two years, I'm certain. He's kind of the definition of a one-club man as well. He played for the club man and boy. You know, his dad was involved in the club as well. He came into the the, the the fold as a teenager when the club was just completing its journey to the first division at the start of the 80s, and he, he was there for some tremendous highs. But then he also witnessed uh, the sort of the fallow years, and then he witnessed Graham Taylor's return. So, in a, in a period of well, an association that spanned more than 20 years he saw an awful lot and he's incredibly popular I mean he if you had to say someone if you if you had to trust Watford Football Club with one person Nigel Gibbs would be pretty close to the top of that list because he has that affection for the club he has that um, sense of Ownership, but not in a proprietorial way. If that makes sense, he 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 knows he played a role in the club, and he knows that no one is bigger than the club. And I think his personality just sums up everything that supporters want from players and I think that if if I was a professional footballer I'd want to be like Nigel Gibbs solid dependable never let anyone down always give my best you know score from outside the penalty area against Newcastle in 1985 (laughs) play close to 500 games or whatever the whatever the number was.
0: Lionel caught up with Nigel back in March at the Grove in Watford to find out about his life with and without Watford.
1: Nigel, lovely to see you Good morning, how are you? I'm very good, thank you um, Do you want to take a seat? Please,
2: yes Can we get you a coffee? Uh, I'd love a coffee please, yeah Just a, a cappuccino would be great Alright, well, we'll get that on order And um, we're here at the Grove uh, Hotel Are you a golfer? Yes, I am, yeah I've I played here a few times So uh, uh, it's a fantastic course And you always enjoy coming here What do you play off? poor 10 at the moment because I haven't played for uh, probably a, a year or so because I've been obviously busy in the football but uh, whenever I get a chance I love to play golf Strengths and weaknesses of your golf game? Um, driving, long long games not the greatest but uh, around the greens and uh, chipping and putting probably uh, saves me It's quite a few shots
1: have you ever been here when one of the tournaments has been on? There was something last year, wasn't there?
2: Yes, I've been. I've been to the both the tournaments are here. Uh, the first time when Tiger was here, and uh, he got uh, uh, the three eagles uh, on the par five. Um, so I followed him round, and last year I came as well. So yeah, no keen golfer and keen follower of golf. It's amazing, isn't it, seeing sports people at the top of their game up close like that. Oh, it's amazing. He was playing with Lee Westwood, and um, obviously they got on well. And they were having a little bit of banter about uh, some of their shots. And uh, yeah, I was literally, you know, within five yards of him teeing off, which was which was amazing. And the uh, the balance on, on their shots and the power, and uh, it, it was fantastic to see close up. Nigel, what have you been up to since you left Swansea City? I've been very fortunate that um, I had a really good relationship with Tottenham when I left, so I've been going in there quite a bit and helping out with uh, the youth team, the 23s, been going to watch a lot of games, and also um, Claude McAlealy invited me out to Belgium. He's manager of a Belgian team now, so I went out there for a couple of days, watched his match, caught up with him, and just generally being around football really, just really enjoy. I miss being on the grass, which is the biggest thing for me, so uh, just keeping active that way. Is there any, sort of anything on the horizon that you, you might get back in? No, obviously you're always disappointed to lose your job, but I really enjoy my time with Paul Clement and uh, he's very keen for me, for me to go with him next time he gets a job, so he's actively seeking and ready to go at any time, and um, so really I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait for him to get a job. Uh, in the meantime, going to Tottenham and uh, keep myself busy that way, and then if anything comes up with Paul, then, then we'll, we'll, we'll move and, and go with him.
1: Have you seen much of Watford since you um, left Swansea? And, and more broadly what do you think of the the POTSO model as, as we call it you know the, for, for somebody who's in managing or coaching it must be a nightmare because no one gets more than a year I mean if you get a year you've done pretty well
2: it's a different model but you've got to give them credit because the club are in such a terrible situation when they took over the ground is fantastic now the quality of players is very very good I mean the, the turnover as you say of the coaches is a surprise that they've still been so successful but you've got to give it to them the credit to them because the recruitment has been so good and that's been the key they've got some- really really good players obviously do the homework on the coaches and for whatever reason it looks after a year that um, something's not quite right between both parties and they move on but they still keep churning out the results started so well this season didn't they and then they had a that. Uh, obviously, a period where they didn't do so well. Changed the coach, and now the new coach has come in and, and got them going. Obviously, a disappointing result yesterday, but um, you know, overall he's done well.
1: Do you think you need to change your nationality if you were to ever get a chance of the top job? Nigel Os maybe.
2: Well, I mean, that's that's modern football. Is it? I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but um, you know, most of the clubs in the Premiership are not British-owned. So, uh, and also they're they're able to attract the the top coaches from abroad as well now. You know, so that's a different thing they obviously got the finances to do it Uh, obviously got Pep Guardiola, Jose Mourinho. I mean, two of the best coaches in the world, and they're in the Premier League. So it's very difficult for for British coaches to to get to the Premiership unless you get a promotion, or you know, a couple of British-owned clubs will still go with with, with that coach. But you know, it's it's at the end of the day, you've got to prove your worth. The, the only thing I'd say, I think, down in Division One, down in Division Two, there's some fantastic coaches who probably won't get the opportunity to go higher because the opportunity's not there. They do so much work. I mean, they have to do the scouting, do the coaching, they have to do everything. Whereas in the Premiership. Mainly the coaches just have to worry about coaching, whereas down below they have to really work hard. They, they do their apprenticeship, they they're, they're learning the job, and they're working a the really tight budget. So I've got a lot of respect for the for the coaches uh, in 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 England, Scotland, and, and Wales.
1: A lot of people from outside Watford look at it and think, well, it's a club that's lost its identity or lost its soul, but I mean uh, from your point of view uh, how important is it that they still play on the same patch of grass that, that you played on? I know the ground has changed a lot, but the club could have moved, couldn't it in the, in the 90s or the 2000s, you know the owners could have looked to move away um, from Vicarage Road, but when you go back, do you, do you get a sense of the, of the history that's still around the ground? I mean, obviously the Graham Taylor stand named after Graham, all the pictures up and everything. I mean surely you can see the links with uh, the success from the past when you visit.
2: Absolutely, I, I love walking down Occupation Road, I love walking into the ground, they still get that same buzz when Z cards comes on, it's still Watford it's still Watford, I mean the, the stadium is fantastic now, they've done a really really good job on that, and as you say, Graham Taylor stand so Elton John stand, it, it's absolutely fantastic and, and the supporters are still there, that is the biggest thing whatever else goes on, the supporters are still there it's still the same Watford supporters and they'll be there long long after we're gone and if the owners decide to move on, the supporters will still be there and as you say it it, it, it stayed in Watford, which is a big thing, really big thing. Obviously, there was talk at some stage that they, they might have to move, but you know, I for one really like the stadium there, uh, and they're improving it all the time. And uh, I think it's still got that special feel. So
1: you still get a good reception when uh, the supporters see you walking down Occupation Road. Hey, Gibbsy!
2: <laughs> Unbelievable! They're, they've been fantastic. I came to the Leicester game and they gave me a great reception on the pitch, and just walking to the games, everyone's talking. And I still live in Watford. Walk around the town, people stop you. So you know, I can't thank them enough. They've been so great. To me, and uh, you know, I'm one of them. You know, so uh, I've got that affinity with them, supporter as a boy. I ended up playing for them, and all, and ended up being on the staff there and uh, you know it's nice to go back because I do get such a good welcome
1: Just clear one thing up for me a a lot of supporters call you Gibbsy but most of the players whenever I've spoken to them they call you Gibbo so what do you prefer?
2: Um, It's funny because when I first joined Watford it was Gibbsy and then uh, as it went on and I went to on the coaching side it was Gibbo, and then when I went up and as soon as I left Watford it was Gibbo. so that's sort of so I don't mind I don't mind I mean Gibbsy was my original but I'd say a lot more people call me Gibbo now
1: One other nickname, I guess, Mr Watford, because you were on the books from the early 80s to 2002, made your debut in 1983, played your last game in 2002. I guess there's something quite symbolic about your last game for Watford. It was against Gillingham, Gianluca Vialli's last game as well. He didn't last quite as long as you, Mm. but Lloyd Doily was on the pitch that day, and it's almost as if symbolically you handed on the the baton to him because he then went and played nearly 500 games I guess now it's kind of Troy Deeney, Mr Watford Is that, there's quite a progression there you can track almost 30 years of the clubs or well, more than 30 years of the clubs through three of, three of you I mean do you know Lloyd and Troy particularly well?
2: I know Lloyd uh, very well obviously he um, played in that game but also then I became the reserve coach and uh, you know, coach Lloyd while I was doing the reserves and then helping Ray as uh, assistant to the first teams and I saw Lloyd in the week He's, uh, his daughter goes to the same school in Nascot Wood with my, my, my nephew so we have a little chat in the playground and catch up but uh, yeah, I know Lloyd really well I mean um, fantastic servant for Watford and, and a player another great example for any, any young player that uh, works as hard as they did to get the best out of their career I mean Lloyd to work really, really hard and what a fantastic career he had. And again, you know, a similar, similar type to himself, really hard working, gave 100%, gave everything for the cause and uh, he had a fantastic career at Watford. Obviously he's playing at Hemel now, ticking over and still wants to get back in. He's uh, a fantastic servant for Watford as I said. And, and Troy, I know Troy a little bit, did fantastic for Watford, his performances in the championship and I think with the change of coaches quite often he, he pulled everyone together, I'm led to believe, where he got the dressing room really, really going and uh, you, you can't have um, you know, too many of those guys that really get hold of the dressing room because they're an extension of the coaches you know? Troy's captain, leader and it's not easy sometimes when you're that and also you have to perform on the pitch which he has done people don't realise you know, everyone's looking at him to be the, the, the strong man, the leader but he's done it really, really well and uh, as you say he's, he's been there a long time and, and uh, long may it continue You say there you and Lloyd had to work at your game are you basically saying we perhaps weren't the most talented but but you could apply yourself and make a career absolutely I, I i had to work at everything every day the biggest thing for me i, I never wanted anyone to say uh, you didn't try you know you know you, you didn't work hard enough that was the big but you know if i if i gave a straight pass the hold my hands up because of the but you know obviously I, I played that amount of games so obviously i had some talent but you know i had to really work it and and I, there's a lot of players like that and you speak to them in, individually they'll say the same thing that they have to get whatever they can to to, to be the best they can be
1: So, talent alone doesn't get you a career in football. Have you seen a lot of, you know, some really talented players, young players who you think, well, they've got a lot, but they're just not going to make it in the game? Perhaps mentally, they're not quite um, attuned to the the demands of it. And and also, I guess, bouncing back from from the the bad moments, not just in a game, but poor runs of form, that kind of thing. The mental strength is so important.
2: Mental strength is massive. Hard work is a talent, and people don't realise that hard work is a talent that's the biggest thing and uh, um, as you say I, I have seen lots of players and fortunately I, I, I worked in Tottenham's Academy for 15 months and um, core they have some talented players but as you say it, without the mentality mental side of it and the hard work and, the, and and the desire and the hunger as well people you know they lose that sometimes you've got to have that you've got to have a passion for the game you've got to have a passion for the game because it's not going to be all one nice uh, <laughs> upward uh, uh, you know upward road to success you know there's going to be some you know curves in that some dips in that so you know you have to work hard Someone once told me that if you played
1: 150 games you can call yourself a professional footballer um, over your career all appearances at league cups and everything for Watford 491 I think a dozen short of Luther Blissett's record I guess if, had you not been injured for nearly two years you would, have, you would have smashed Luther's record and it would be you at the top of that chart
2: yeah, possibly. I mean, um, you know, as a fullback, you you weren't often on the bench early on because there was one sub, and then it became three subs. So if I wasn't in the team for whatever reason, I wasn't usually on the on, on the bench. So um, Luther is a legend, and you know? I watch him from the terraces, and then to play with him, so I have that. But you know, this. Uh, for me to play all those games, if you'd have given me a hundred games, I'd have been I'd have been happy. But just going back to your first point there, that the boss always said that uh, when we signed pros, we were junior pros. We weren't professionals. We were junior pros. And when we were, played a hundred games, you can call yourself a pro. Uh, and and it's so true you now. The same thing applies there then as it does now. You know, he keeps saying oh, that that's just a, 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 a you know a contract to, to becoming a pro. It's not it's not a pro contract. And you have to keep reinforcing that to the young players. But uh, you know, for me to play all those games and say I was un- unfortunately have those injuries um, but you know I started more games than any other player in Watford's history but I didn't make many subs and didn't score many goals <laughs> so that, that's but listen if you said to me at 16 listen you're going to play 491 times for Watford I mean plus if you had my reserve games in there my, my youth team games in there you know I'm, I've played a lot of games for Watford thoroughly enjoyed every single one of them. <music>
1: let's go right back to the beginning then nigel your your dad was involved with Watford. dennis gibbs got to know tom wally as well when tom wally then came onto the staff was your dad there first or was tom there first how did
2: it work no um tom was there first with 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 the boss and um, my dad was actually manager of Hemel hempstead he was doing quite well at the time i'm not sure how the connection came about but uh, my dad got a call from tom and basically was asked to come and help him out with the youth team tom was on his own and he left Hemel hempstead and We were probably fourth in the league at the time doing really well and he's going to go and work for Watford but uh, so yeah that was probably 1977, 78 time went to work with Tom and then continued all the way through and uh, obviously had some good success and good times with Tom along the way
1: and so where did you come into this because 1977 you would have been well mid-teens I guess nearly
2: 12 a bit longer yeah yeah 12 so i was playing for st Albans city youth at the time dad as well as helping with the youth team he would then go and do match reports for for the boss got to know him asked him so he would do match reports for the boss go and do player reports for me it was great because i was going to watch football i was in the car with him playing and as much as i could go with him also playing for st Albans city youth uh, obviously tom and my dad got to know each other well and my dad said to tom look my boy's playing gonna go and watch him he came along and like what he saw, and he said, "Well, we'll get him in." So it was like Tom. Okay, so from from the age of 12, I, I came in and trained on a Monday and a Thursday, and if there were games on a Sunday, uh, uh, played the games, and so I was. That was 12, 13 years of age, I, I started training at Watford.
1: Just to clarify, it's obvious, but the boss is Graham
2: Taylor. In, in your mind, is there still only one boss? Absolutely, absolutely. I find it really difficult. Even later on, I, I used to speak to him, you know, quite regularly at times, and I'm still calling him boss. And he did actually say to me once, "You can call me grandpa." I didn't feel comfortable though. It, it was amazing, really. But yeah, he's the boss. Um, obviously, I work for other people that I call the boss, but uh, for me, he he he's the boss. And um,
1: what about Tom Wally fearsome character? I mean, um, I, you know, I've only met him two or three times, but just the voice puts the fear of God into you, really. The the North Wales uh, sergeant majorist voice. Because your dad
2: was also involved, did you, did you get an easier ride from Tom Wally No, <laughs> not at all, not at all. Um, I got a tough ride from both of them, but tough love. That was it, you know, and uh, demanding and standards. And uh, you ask any boy, it was tough, it was hard, um, but. You know, we won't. Well, I wouldn't be sitting here having the career I've had without without that. No doubt about it. Oh, Tom Tom has brought so many boys through, and again, learning from being in the academy because uh, John McDermott also um, he runs the Tottenham academy. He was at Watford for many years, worked under the boss, worked under other lo- managers, knows Tom, and you need that. You need that tough love. You know, they need to know what's right and need to know what's wrong and uh, how to improve. And uh, and also the other thing, so the, the point I was going to make is that you know you can't all have a 20-year career. You might only have three years, but they will be successful. in, in life because of their attitude and their mentality and their work rate. So whatever it is, it might not just be you know some of them become coaches, some of them become physios, some, whatever it is, or they go into another another industry. They'll be successful because of the because of the grounding and and, and what, what they got from Tom and the environment from from the, what the boss wanted to, down to the youth team and, and then obviously then into the professional side
1: a slightly difficult area this because a lot of the stuff in the news about the, you know what went on with coaches and scouts in the 70s 80s and what have you Um, I, you know there is a line um between what is was acceptable then and what's not acceptable and wasn't acceptable then isn't acceptable now and would never be acceptable but I mean Tom Wally you know clip you around the year or what have you but presumably you know there was never anything that sort of strayed across the line in terms of the bullying of kids or what have you, I mean it it, it was
2: tough but it was fair, was it? Tough but fair and and never even like Came into my mind you know, at all. What people think is tough is, is is not actually. It's like turning up on time, showing respect, never giving up, you know, to be ambitious. That that was that's that's tough love. That's being disciplined. That's so uh, n- none of that ever ever entered. And I was not aware of that until it came out recently. And you know, I was really shocked by it all, and obviously very sad to read about it. But uh, from from my point of view, you no know, nowhere near any of that.
1: So you felt fortunate really that you, you, you were in an environment that was where the kids were safe and every,
2: everything was you know, above board. Absolutely, and I think that's the biggest thing you said there about being safe and uh, um, you know we, we, we had a great time you know it was tough, but it was it was a great time and you speak to any of the boys. And I think it was obviously a smaller group as well then I mean when I, when I joined Watford, we only had five apprentices We're now the scholars are you know late 20s at 30 players, so there's a lot a lot more players in there, but uh, for me it was a, a great environment to, to, to be brought up in and and, and I think Possibly at other clubs, they, they wouldn't have had that environment. And, and, and we spoke about it before, I think probably some players might have made it at Watford if they'd have been there rather than at other clubs because of the environment and the demands and, and, and the coaching and the teaching, really. You know?
1: I mean, I've heard the stories, you know, running, running from Stanmore back to Vicarage Road, you know, just on Tom Wally's whim. I mean, you would never think, oh, that's great, I'd love to do that. But it, it, Graham Taylor once made the point to me that being fit is not a punishment
2: absolutely, being fit is fantastic, you need to be fit to play the game, even more so now I mean, the the fitness and the physicality of the players, the pace of it is phenomenal, yeah, it really, really is but that was not so much about the run it was about the mentality, we talk, spoke about that earlier on, it's about the mentality what will you do, what will you do to really, really get to where you want to get, you know, will you push yourself and will you never give up, you know, so um, you know, you don't realise at the time, cause oh, we've got to run back, we've got to run back, or we're going around the terrace, you know, around the track again, or we're going up the terraces again, big steep Terry on my back, you know. It's, uh, but it was it was as well as obviously getting fit because that's what we were. We were really fit, but obviously mentally fit as well. That was the key, and, and the boss speaks about that all the time. You know, as well as being physically but you've got to be mentally fit, and uh, that stayed with me. You know.
1: Of course, you had success pretty early on. You are in the FA Youth Cup winning team beat Manchester United over two legs, rattled the
2: crossbar at the Stretford end, I think. I was obviously a Watford fan, but uh, I had a friend who was a Man United fan and he used to take me to a couple of games when they were in London. So again, I was just a football fan. I loved going to, um, went to Watford whenever I could and all this kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I was still at school. So I played in every round apart from the second leg at at, uh, Watford because in those days, um, I was still at school and we had a cup final uh, for the school, uh, Marshall School, and I had to play in it. And... I got injured. Naughty tackle on me, hurt my ankle, so I missed the second leg. So uh, I was really disappointed, but what a great thing for me as a schoolboy. Uh, and as it turned, Barnesy played in the second leg, and he was in the first team, obviously, because we, you know, we had a great chance to beat the great Manchester United. But yeah, I mean, going back into school after playing at Old Trafford, the I had to go to school the next day, so I come back from Manchester and go back into school, and I'll be at the bar at Stretford and I was like, wow, you know, it's an amazing thing. I mean, that is
1: another world, isn't it? You, you know, you prioritising the school's cup final over the FA Youth Cup final against Manchester United.
2: Well, they could stop you playing, so you had a permission um, to, uh, to play on a Saturday in the youth team. Um, so you, you had to get permission from the school to play. I had a fantastic relationship with, with, with the school and the PE teacher there, but it was a cup final for the school and it was a big thing, so <laughs> no, you've got to play. Yeah? So it was one of those, you, <laughs> yeah. So at that age, you, you, you think, oh, I'll play anyway and I'll be OK. You didn't really think about it, you know, I was... 15 at the time, or 16, whatever it was. But unfortunately, got injured, so I so I watched the um, watched the second leg from the bench, and uh, and it's great because my, my dad was physio on the day and uh, sitting on the bench as well, so it was great for both of us.
1: Within 18 months, you've made your debut for the first team. I mean, if you had to pick a match to make your debut in, that's a, quite an extraordinary one. Away to Sparta Prague in the UEFA Cup on an icy pitch, frozen pitch. And what do you remember about that
2: day? Actually, I played in the first leg as well. So um, I think about it, I hadn't played that many games for the, uh, the reserves. You know, I've been in and out and doing okay in the youth team and. Uh uh, in the previous um, games there was a few of the uh, the young pros who played in the in, in the, obviously jimmy ian neil price charlie palmer uh, francis cast you know there was a few of us uh, uh, oh, a few of them have been involved and because we'd signed quite a lot of players and uh, they weren't able to play because hadn't signed in time there was a few injuries it was out of the blue for me it was um, I trained with a I don't even have trained the day before. I probably would have trained the day before with the squad, but it wasn't really. I thought I was making the numbers up or whatever. And then on the morning of the game, we all just train them. Train the morning of the game, and train. And the boss said, "Oh, what are you doing later? Well, I no, no, fancy playing tonight." And he's making me try and feel relaxed. Yeah, I'll play. So that was it. That was it. So off I go and play. We lost three-two at home, um, but generally I did okay. The boss was quite pleased with me, and then make sure you're mentally uh, uh, level and don't get above yourself I was back in the youth team on the Saturday so <laughs> so, so that was my week really and um, you know I'd only just signed pro because it was on the 23rd of November I was 20, um, 18 on the um, on the 20th of November so literally three days later um, I've been doing well but they'd signed David Bardsey and he wasn't able to play so I'm thinking well oh, there's Dave Barsley now there's Charlie Palmer then it's me am I going to get an opportunity am I going to be good enough that was what I thinking in my mind and I, don't, I saw Tom and Paul, he said, look, you'll be fine, just just keep working hard, you'll be fine. So um, so that was the period then when I just signed Pro, but they just signed David Barzin. I just couldn't work out what was going on. Um, they had to keep working hard, you know, you'll, you'll get your opportunity. If not, something could happen. So I carried on, and then the second leg came around. I got called up for that one as well. Um, we lost quite convincingly out there, but that was probably the hardest conditions I've, I've ever played in um Snow, ice, um, footwear was so difficult to decide what to wear. Whether it was the old Astro boots, and we, I actually wore studs. they were leather studs with a little bit of nails to try and give you a little bit of grip. But we just couldn't get near, and they were so so much better than us on the night, and we lost four one. And uh, great experience for me, now you mentioned they signed David Bardsley, another right back in your
1: position. Um, so it was probably another sort of year, eighteen months before you got in the side. But then when you did, you you really established yourself very quickly. What were the, you know, what was the boss um, looking for from you as a as a fullback? Because he he often liked an overlapping fullback. Um, Wilf would overlap on the left, but Pat Rice had been much more of a sort of stop and hold. so what was it about your game? You think that appealed to him?
2: I could defend. So I was a good defender, and that was the big thing that he wanted me to do more was was join in and get forward. Because um, in, in training I, I can cross a good ball, I, I can shoot. I was a youngster, I was a midfielder and a striker, so I could score goals. But um, it would be probably the all-round game that needed to be better, but particularly the forward areas. And and as it turned out, I mean Dave, Dave and I ended up having a really good relationship. Him playing right wing, I'm playing right back. So um, that's how I got into the team, and uh, just had to do better, you know, better better on my game going forward. But you know, still continues to be the the the, the the good defender that, that, that I wanted to be
1: what was it like I mean being at a club like Watford at that time Graham Taylor a very you know, very ambitious man probably at the peak of his powers really around that time he would have been in his early 40s But I mean, what was he
2: like as a, as a manager at that time there was just an awe around him, um, a little bit of fear, but just told uh, whatever he said, you just listened, and uh you know it was so clear what he was saying to you, you could understand what he wanted, I mean, very organized, very fit. Went into every game looking to win, and we knew our jobs. That was it, really. And, and, and because I'd come up, I didn't know anything different, so I thought that was the norm. But it obviously wasn't, because we we kept on winning every week. We were beating the big guys and uh, the big teams, and, and doing really, really well. So, I mean, it was it, it was a great time to come into a team as a young player. And again, you, you're going to Old Trafford, you're going to Anfield, you're going to Goodison, you're going to, you know, Highbury going to White Lane and getting results, going Stamper and getting results. It's like it was just it was just a you know, it's it, it hard to describe really, you know, because until later on now in, in, in life you think, well that's some achievement, some achievement.
1: Because I think you were in the side when Watford won five one at White Hart
2: Lane. I was, I played in that game, uh, against Tony Galvin. It was an incredible performance. Um, uh, to go to, time. I mean, Watford had a good uh, record there. They'd, they'd won there with Les Taylor scoring a, a 1-0 winner as well. So we'd did well against them. But, you know, we always felt that if people didn't match our effort and our work rate, that we, we could we could turn teams over, you know. And uh, and we went, even going into those stadiums and against those teams, we, we felt we had a chance to win. Um, I was very fortunate we went to Chelsea as well, won 5-1. Um, we won Arsenal several times. So, <laughs> um, you know, it was an incredible, incredible time.
1: One match against Tottenham that didn't quite work out so well was the Cup semi-final. I, I mean, it's a, an amazing story, really, how Gary Plumley came to uh, keep goal, the, um, the the son of the chief executive, Eddie Plumley. He'd been working in his wine bar down in South Wales. Both goalkeepers, Tony Coten and Steve Sherwood, were injured. Um, but you were left out of that game, out of, completely out of the blue. I mean, that must have been a tough one. That was
2: really, really tough for me. Really tough for me. Um, we went up to Lillishaw, and obviously Tony was... Uh, Injured, and Steve Sherwood was going to go and go and go goal, but we went up there maybe a three-day build-up, and the boss pulled me and said, I, I, "I'm not going to play you, Sally but you can't tell anyone." Would you mean? Well, first, I was really, I'm not playing. No, okay. Um, and he gave the reasons he was going to change the shape, match up against Spurs, and he felt the other players would would, would be suited. To it. Okay, so, he, but then not even to tell you can't tell your wife, can't tell your family because I don't want it to get out. I don't. Want, okay, so I didn't. I didn't tell anyone so I've trained all week and then the morning of the game obviously Steve had hurt his thumb as well and uh, I went out with Billy Howes and the boss and I was the one booting balls at Steve to do his fitness test so I was the one because I wasn't involved I wasn't even going to be on the bench so I'm there and Steve's on the ground with his hands and I'm 50-50 50-50 and smashing balls against him to see if he was fit or not I mean from, from my um, <laughs> layman eyes I thought he was fit I thought he was okay I, I, didn't, think, I, didn't, I didn't think he was uh, going to struggle but I didn't know he said he was obviously a little bit painful but he was gonna... so anyway he, he ends up not playing Steve but so bizarrely I mean it's, you look back now uh, we went to out to warm up at 10 past 2 but the teams weren't put in until 2.30 so the boss wanted me to go out and warm up to, think, to let Tottenham know that, that I was playing you had to get
1: kitted up for an FA Cup semi final knowing you weren't going to play.
2: Not even going to be on the bench, go out and do the warm up. You just did because being professional, the boss wanted me to do it. And so I went out and did a warm up. Then I come back in, get changed, and I, I'm not on the bench. I then go up into the stand, and what if the fans are doing a double? T- what are you doing? Are you playing this like 10 to 3 at this time? You know, <laughs> t- No, I'm not playing that. No. And you better get down there. You're playing, and and that's my memory of the game. Obviously, uh, the result was terrible, and um, we we lost. And then the next week, I was back in the team. You know, but you know, as a manager, coach, you you do the right thing at the time. But obviously, for me individually, it was it was obviously a big disappointment not to play in that game. Not
1: everyone could park their ego enough to do that.
2: No, um, I'm sure other players would have dealt with it differently, but. You know I, I I couldn't deal with it any other way than I did, which is like being totally professional, totally for the team, supporting the manager obviously I was, he knew I was really disappointed and I was really disappointed and not 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 to be involved in a semi final because times you get a chance and, and I never did you know so uh, obviously really disappointed, but'm i professional and that and that was it that was that was it and there was no ego, just get on with it and uh, and, and be ready if needed.
1: Well, Graham Tade was replaced by Dave Bassett. I'm just going to run through the number of managers that you played for uh, at Watford. Graham Taylor, of course, Dave Bassett, Steve Harrison, Colin Lee, Steve Perryman, Glenn Rhoda, Graham Taylor again, Kenny Jackett, Graham Taylor again, and Gianluca Vialli, however, briefly. That's a lot of different people and a lot of different styles. Having been brought up with Graham Taylor and his ways, the obvious change when Dave Bassett came in, we'll talk about. In terms of as a professional footballer was it difficult to always to not think back well this isn't how Graham Taylor did it and, and, and to adapt and change yourself?
2: Yes without a doubt that was always in your mind what we had what done with, with the boss and the way we prepared, where way we trained, everything um, but you have to make yourself selectable for that manager so you have to and also you, your own professional pride and so you have to do everything right and yeah, you, you're always think about well that That was done better, or actually, I quite like what you 're bringing in, so there's always that, but at the end of the day you, you're playing for the manager and the club, the club first, and then the manager um and you can, but you 're always obviously comparing because you compare because it was successful. That's, that's why you compare, you know, and uh, yeah, that was good. Now, I'm sure the boss, when he looked back and maybe when he came back the second time, he, he slightly altered things because he, he obviously was an unbelievably intelligent man that he thought, well, I need to tweak that a little bit to make that a little bit better, or I need to change because of the time, whatever it was, and, and that was so great about him. But you no, know, you're right, you, you, you do compare because it, it's successful.
1: I don't want to preempt your answer, but if you could have erased one of those managers from history and uh, not come in
2: at Watford while you were there, who would it be? Oh, that's a difficult question. I mean, that, I mean, obviously Dave Bassett following Graham Taylor was going to be the hardest thing ever. Any, whoever came in, but um, he came in, and we had some really good players at the time. And, and Wimbledon uh, were a very direct team, but a very successful team. So that was his methods. But you know, we we, we were better than, than than that. And also, the, the players that he brought in weren't any better than by a long shot than, than what we had got rid of some good players and then results then take care of themselves so I think if you speak, uh, speak to Harry now, he, he he would do it differently, I'm sure. You know, he, he, only he can answer that. Uh, Steve Harrison came in, obviously worked under the boss and uh, knew his methods. But I think Steve will be the first to admit he's a coach rather than a manager. And I think at first it was okay. We, we lost in the playoffs, but then the man management side is very very difficult, very very difficult. And I think Steve found that tough at times. But as a coach, one of the best I worked with, one of the best I worked with. Um, uh, who after that was um, I think Colin Lee Colin briefly Lee. and then Steve Perry came in when we needed a couple of wins to stay up we got them, we limped over the line stayed in the division, then then Colin had started but Colin had jumped from the youth team um, coach, it wasn't for him you could see straight away it was too much for him really liked Steve Perriman really liked Steve Perriman Um, was really good for me as as an individual obviously knew the game and and, and understood the game but I think he he made me captain, talked to me quite a lot um, encouraged me to use my voice more because I saw the game so I really had a really good relationship with with Steve I and mean, I really enjoyed working for him. And then after that was... Uh, Glenn Roder, I think. Glenn. Glenn, obviously I played with Glenn, so I knew Glenn well, played with Glenn. Glenn came in. Glenn had some good times. I think we just missed out on the playoffs. And again, I quite enjoyed working under Glenn. I think he had some good ideas. But again, results dictate it. And then the boss came back, tried to stay up. I was having a bad time with injuries at the time. That's when I got released. Then I came back in with Kenny. Really enjoyed working under Kenny on a, on a non-contract base and then a month-to-month. Uh, Kenny did a really good job. But we ended up drawing too many games. He had a really, really small budget. And I think Alec Chamberlain was £40,000. We lost Kevin Phillips. And so to get to, to where we did, we did quite well. And then obviously the boss came back in and then we had that fantastic run at the end of the season. I was fits for the start of the Luca Viali's first season. Um, or oh, his only season and uh, I was still club captain so I was involved and then I got injured in pre-season and I had a tough time with the injuries but I actually got on well with Gianluca but I mean, the recruitment at that time was terrible absolutely terrible brought in on two higher wages not part of the Watford ethos the work rate the hard work Coming, some big time Charlies came in for want of a better word and I felt quite sorry for Gianluca Gianluca the people advising him with his recruitment got it wrong Gianluca didn't know the division so uh, he was up against it Sign players that uh, you know, weren't good enough. weren't good enough.
1: Was there some resentment that they were on a lot more money?
2: Without a doubt, we, we the um, all throughout. I mean. You know, players move on and they are I mean I obviously stayed at Watford and you know I could have moved on or possibly could have moved on or, you know someone's got to want you to move on at once um, but you know the money wasn't an issue to me but certainly those players coming in uh, came in and then all of a sudden the players that got us to the uh, the, the Premiership and then back down the, the wages were astronomical they were way too high in, in, there was no parity there was no parity and it was tough for, for a lot of players I mean I was 37 at the time uh, 36 um, but the younger players were... But they're nowhere near as good as me. Their attitude's terrible, and they're getting you know, and that's just human nature, isn't it? So that was a big problem, and unfortunately, only lasted the one season. But the, the, the sad thing, the legacy after it was was so tough because of the, the, the wages and the fees that were paid, and the players are still there who weren't good enough. That's the biggest issue. So it was really tough for, for, for Ray Lou but he did an unbelievable job. Roger, you had a
1: bad injury, I think, in 1992, missed almost two years. Maybe it was two years, I think.
2: On and off for 18 months, that was really tough. I mean, uh, up until then, I I think I've missed three months, um, broke my toes at QPR on the AstroTurf. Touchwood, i have been very fortunate, but so for me, it was also I'd done 10 years and my testimonial year and and to get injured. Yeah, it was tough watching. I mean, the the results weren't uh, as good as they could have been and there was other... Kept on losing good players, and if you don't replace <laughs> with, with uh, the same or better players, it's going to be very really difficult. And uh, that was a tough time for me. What was
1: the club like in those years? Because you were one of the few constants, really. You were there all the way through. I mean, Elton John had sold to Jack Petchy, so there was there wasn't the same feeling of the club being Watford Football Club that it had been before. The managers came in and went. There were a few brushes with relegation. You know, it was it was almost like. L- avoiding one disaster and then avoiding the next disaster with, with a few high points in between but just as a general um, trend uh, the, the club was kind of slipping a bit wasn't it
2: it was and um, so Steve Perriman we had to stay up, uh, we won a game at Oxford and stayed up um, no it was, it was tough times um, obviously Glenn's year we just missed out on the playoffs but the next year we were struggling so it was a constant battle really and as I say when, when you keep losing your best players and I think the attendances were dropping as well I mean there was a bit of development going on in the club but we were down to seven, 8,000 as well so fair play to those fans now we're enjoying the, <laughs> the full hours at Vicarage Road with a magnificent stadium but tonight no, it was tough times and um, you know, we ended up getting relegated. You know, out of the championship in Division One, which uh, you know that was tough to take. But uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it was a oh one season where oh god, that's a surprise. We've been struggling on and off for for a few seasons, and uh, now it's tough being, being part of that because you know, it, it, as much as the coach and and the club, it's down to the players as well. You know, they've got to take some responsibility. So you know, I was part of that, and uh, now I found it really tough. I've got I've got to be honest.
1: When did you hear that Graham Taylor was coming back in 96?
2: Probably a day or, or so before. That was it, really. I mean, I, I, was, um, I was so pleased, you know, because it, it needed someone to, to give us some direction, some leadership, and, and obviously bring the club back together again because that's the, the biggest thing the boss does as well is, is unite everyone and bring everyone. And I, I've never been in a football club where you can't have everyone together. Um, and, and everyone pulling in the same direction, and uh, you know that's that's what he does so well, as well as the football side of things, but the, the club side of things. And obviously, it gave us a little bit of a chance to stand up, but we ended up. Going out of the championship and then, you know, Kenny had that one year and then obviously the boss decided right, I'm I'm, I'm ready to go again and and uh, uh, I'll I'll give it another go. But uh, I think just him coming back to the club, he just felt that actually, well, there'll be some good decisions made now. We are going in the right direction. We might not be able to get to it straight away. We, we will we will get going again. We will start to build and, and progress up the leads and get back to where we, where, where we feel we should be. But uh, we had to take a step back to, to come back uh, takes two steps forward. You know. It wasn't
1: really until quite recently when I was working with Graham on his book that I realised just what a low ebb he was at after leaving Wolverhampton. You know, the England. everyone thinks the England job was the thing that... Uh, obviously, that was the biggest disappointment of his career, but I think he was even lower after leaving Wolves because he thought, well, where do I go from here? When he came back, was he the same man that you'd known um, when he be- left in 1987?
2: He, c- he came back and... Um I felt those few games at the end of that season when we when we went down, there was no. But obviously underneath and in you know he, he had changed. I think he became the general manager the next season. So we didn't really see him on the on the training pitch. But then when he came back and actually took over as manager, he was back on the grass. Um, he he was back to himself. I felt um, he certainly adjusted things slightly because. Kenny did quite a lot of the coaching even though he was the manager before Kenny still did a lot of the coaching the boss was back to being the manager that's when I felt that yeah I I, I can see the boss there you know boss was back leading away leading from the front tactically unbelievable organised and you just felt that actually now we're going to we're going to do well
1: What was it about the way he signed players I mean Jason Lee came in for a bit of money for that division Ronnie Rosenthal came in on quite a bit of money as a salary but not uh, with a transfer fee but then Peter Kennedy going nowhere at Knox County, really. I mean, and Alan Smart and Nick Wright came in a little bit later, and it almost mimicked the previous era. Players that you would not have expected to be such key influences in in the team. What what was it about him that you know? How did he spot these people, really?
2: Again, talent. It's very. He's, he's obviously such a good eye for players, and also he he would see. Uh, A lot of um, scouts and coaches will go to games and and see what the players can't do, but he also saw what they could do and what they could bring to the team, and and that's what he did. You know, we played... uh, I played, actually, I marked Peter Kenzie uh, at Notts County and he gave me a bit of a tough time. You know, he was a good player and had pace and left-footed and then, obviously, that stuck in Graham's mind um, and ended up signing him. He he must have seen... Did we play him in the preseason. We played Carlisle preseason. I don't know if the the two lads played in that, but also he'd have have, um, people that he would phone and... uh, find a little you know he had contacts everywhere so I mean that was another you know unbelievable asset that the boss had was his his talent for seeing players and bringing out the best in them. Did it feel like Watford again because
1: Elton was back involved Graham was the manager Kenny and Luther who were a bit older than you but contemporaries of yours really were on the staff and then I guess you were kind of the, the the top of the triangle when it came to the to the playing staff in terms of having been there and seen it. What was your role were you when young players were coming in were you kind of Giving them a word to the wise that you know you don't mess about with Graham
2: and you you know fall into line and this, things will go well for you. I think um, yeah, I would say that um, you know in my own way I would do that. I, I wasn't a loud person or anything like that, but certainly you know looking after. I mean, I looked after Peter Kennedy when he came in. Um, Gave him a list of the hotel or whatever, told him where to look to buy a house and stuff like that, and, and sort of just welcomed him, made sure he was okay. And we used to do it with all the players, so you know, um, smarty and, and righty looked after them, and you know they they soon you know got the way we worked, and they asked, "Is this what you do?" Yeah, this is what we do, and um, so they, they soon got into the fold. But and and just a little story: P- Peter Kennedy played for Northern Ireland, and he sent me a shirt. He gave me a shirt, so for me that was magnificent. You know, he played for Northern Ireland, and uh, I'd help. Um, he, he, I didn't know that I'd helped him along the way, but obviously I looked after him, and and uh, he, he gave me a shirt. So that's that's a nice touch. You know, that's 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 what it's all about. But yeah, I, I would say that in the dressing room, I would um, you know make sure that everything was okay and people understood what was required. But uh, uh, most of those players, and the other thing about. Signing players is signing their characters, and we spoke about that before the mentality. And that was the boss. You know, he did his homework on those players, so he knew that those characters could fit into into what we wanted as well. So they soon got it. But you know, if they needed anything along the way, or that was it. How
1: important was it for you that the 97-98 season ended in a championship win in what is now League One and that you actually get a medal for that and, and it's, it's something to look back on now, I mean, 20 years later this year, isn't it? Yeah,
2: I mean, that was unbelievable. I mean, it was a really tough season and um, I'm, I'm sure it's been well documented, but when we went to Bristol City, yeah. they were giving it the... The flag about being champions and all that kind of stuff, so that's stuck in our minds as well. But obviously, the most important thing for us was get some promotion. Um, so it was a, a team brought together. You say all those players came in, we had a good season, we got, but then to go to to Fulham on the last day of the season, having a chance to to, to win the league, and, and Fulham needed to win to get into the playoffs as well. So it was a big game for them. Um, Kevin Keegan, is that, I think I'm right, and I think Ray Wilkins was uh, around them as well. So for us, it was got, and then the whole end was what for fans, and then. Uh, to get the win was, was incredible. It was it was an unbelievable for, for me. I, I was sub actually. I came on after twenty minutes for Stevie Palmer, and, uh, and so I played. Obviously enjoyed the, the game. But as you say, that, 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 that feeling of winning something is, is so hard to be and so hard to explain. But uh, you know we've had some fantastic individual games where you've won and, and stuff like that. You played in Europe and but to actually win something it was, was, was 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 magnificent.
1: The following season, no-one was expecting the team to go right the way through. Um, so many things about that. Graham getting back to Wembley, where he'd had some tough days as England manager. Um, you know, winning. Just everything about it seemed to align. Um, but in a way, although you didn't play in the final at Wembley, he played an absolutely critical role in the, the second leg at St Andrews, because the first leg had been a 1-0 win at Vicarage Road against Birmingham City. Paul Robinson had been sent off and was um, suspended, so there was a gap to plug, and you were coming in kind of from the cold, really, I mean, in first-team terms. I mean, that must have been tough, and talk about that night a little bit and and what the atmosphere was
2: like. I mean, as you say, I've been a squad player that season, and I think only coming on to this side of the... the, uh, Um, the table where I'm, I'm a coach and an assistant manager and all that kind of stuff the importance of those squad players <laughs> um, I didn't realise it at the time but probably it got me a, a, a contract maybe because I was reliable I was going to be good around the dressing room good in training and if I needed to play I'd come in um, obviously as a player you want to play every week um, I, I can't remember how many games I played that season but I hadn't played for a while the lads were an unbelievable run so I was either on the bench or in the squad but watching that and and then all of a sudden Robber gets sent off, and who's going to play left back? So from not only being in the cold and not playing, so coming at right back would have been hard enough in that kind of game. That, um, but to come in at left back as well, oh dear, you know. But you know, I obviously got the nod because boss thought I'd do the job. I, I'd, I played in big games, but you know, so I'd be you know able to cope with it. You'd like to think, but you know, it was, it was one of the best atmospheres I've ever played in. Um, it's a, um, terrible start 1-0
1: <laughs> down after 90 seconds I
2: mean were you thinking were you in any way culpable for the
1: goal had you made any, even a small mistake in, or you know, you're, you're, you're absolving yourself of playing for that one
2: Yeah I am but I, I, I was thinking if, if we lose I'm, I've come into the team I'm the only change so I'm thinking oh, come on we can't lose this you know, for obviously for the team, but for myself as well, you know, I wanted to win. And I said, dear, this is going to be tough. Um, but obviously we dug in, <laughs> dug in, dug in. And then David Holdsworth gets sent off. But the atmosphere was incredible and was under the cosh. The, the only thing I remember late on, I did give a free kick away um, just outside the box. And I was like, Please don't go in. Please, Chamber. Come on, pull me out of this one, Chamber. Don't let this. Please, come on, Chamber. And they didn't. They don't score from it. So, obviously, it's one 0 We go to penalty, Go to extra time. Um, for whatever we we can't get the goal to, to get the even. We've got the numerical advantage. And then obviously the drama of the penalties was, was something else.
1: Well, you know, what was your sort of attitude during that penalty shootout? Were you confident? Because I know that
2: they they practiced it. We, we'd we'd practice it. We'd practice it all the time. Uh, so after training, we'd go through the routine from the halfway line. But it doesn't. It doesn't give you the same as a, as a match day. There's nothing can replicate it. But obviously you have to do that because you know you got to feel confident. You go up to, to take the penalty. Um, so we had practiced them um, um, in training. I would say I would be in the top three or four penalty takers. But come to the game, different story. Different story. Uh, I wouldn't have the same confidence. Um, so I was down the pecking order. Um, I'd got through the game. Yeah. It's one always got a chance to get to Wembley penalties. Who knows what's going to happen, but you know, I, I knew there were some good penalty takers in there a, in a, who, who could handle it, who'd score penalties in games. And I think the pressure was more on them because they're the home team. Um, with the fans, I thought the pre- if we had a little bit of advantage, it was probably that. But were obviously, in a penalty shootout, it can go either way. Um, As it went on, were you thinking it, it might be your chance? Yeah, and I said, "Come on, Chamber, <laughs> Chamber, come on." Um, I, I didn't want to take penalty because my mind was, uh, you know, emotion of playing the game, coming in, you know, getting it. Oh if I had to take one I'd say, well, I, I took one for England Youth we, uh, we won um, a tournament in um, Yugoslavia we won 11-10 so I was the 6th penalty taker in that so the 5 and then the 6 and we went through and actually Derek Williams who was the Youth Team goalkeeping coach took the 11th penalty and scored and then saved there so we won 11-10 so I've been through all that and, come on I, I, I didn't want it to come to me and Michael Hyder was before me and Michael was shaking, and I'm thinking, don't don't be, don't let me see that because I'm nervous as well. Luckily, Chambers pulled out the save, and uh, and, we, and we got to Wembley, and it was such a relief.
1: And then to get back into the Premier League, it's probably fair to say the club wasn't quite ready. Um, so much had gone on in the two years off the field. Graham had to deal with a lot of things as well. And uh, what are your memories of that Premier League season? I mean, he played in some memorable games I mean beating Chelsea 1-0 at Vicarage Road um, was one of them that you played in you, I think you played at Highbury and I think Old Trafford as well yeah. um, but what, what were your memories of that Premier League season and the, and the disappointment of it not being successful I guess
2: yeah the the, the overriding thing was the disappointment of getting relegated again but we, we didn't sign enough players quality players to come in uh, obviously the, the finances weren't there but um, we, we, we were in so many games I, I, I can't remember the figure but we lost so many games by the odd goal but you can't be unlucky every time, so we just didn't have enough quality. We had the effort, we had the work rate, we had the passion, but we just didn't have enough quality. didn't have enough goals, and that was the overriding thing. I mean, for me personally, I, I think I think I racked up 16 appearances, including the sub, So you know, I played a, a, a few games, and from sort of being a squaddy in the championship to then in the Premiership, it, it certainly changed from when we were there in the First Division to be was the Premiership now, and uh, the Premier League, and and it, everything. Every game was an event big coverage, TV coverage, media coverage, the quality of the players as well. Um, it's certainly changed and uh, you know we, we, we struggled and obviously got relegated which was, which was disappointing but uh, you know, from Division 1, Championship, Premiership we, we, we just didn't have enough quality at the time.
1: Nigel this is the quick fire round here. I'm sure you've been asked this plenty of times um, but in your close to 20 years as a Watford player if you had to pick an 11 from all the players you played with, first of all, what formation are you going for and, and who's who's in your 11?
2: 4-4-2, definitely. Goalkeeper's Tony Coton. Uh, my left-back's Will Fosteran. Uh, John McClelland. I'd have to stink myself in at right-back if I could. If it wasn't me, it would be uh, David Bardsley. Um, Kenny Jackett in midfield. field. Um, Barnsley on the left wing. Luther up top. Kelly on the right. and then So my... my Three positions that are always the debatable ones are the other striker, the other midfield player and the other center half, and I played with some good ones um when when I thought back over this uh there's so many good players to play up alongside luther um but one of one of the best ones was uh Ken Phillips, so he would be always in there or you know next week it could be <laughs> it could be someone else, but certainly then uh, midfield I really like dandy hess and Tyler um I thought he's he epitomised everything that I liked in a player of ball wise. Um, there was Kevin Richardson who went on to to win a championship with Arsenal, played for Everton. He was a, he was a really 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 good player. Uh, Centre half. I mean, for for someone, Steve Sims played so many games in the top division with someone who couldn't run supposedly but talk about reading the game and, and, and he was incredible um, so some really really good players um, so I'll probably go for those that, that team there um, but it, 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 there's so many so many good players I played with
1: How do you think the current team compares to those players because emotionally it, anyone of, sort of my age you know Luther, John Barnes, Callie, you know as good as the, the current crop are and arguably probably the current crop are Better in a way because football has moved on. Um, the level of competitiveness in the Premier League is probably higher than than perhaps it was. Even the poor teams are, you know, technically very good, um, you know, very well organised. The game's a lot cager, a lot tighter. But just how do you think Graham's style of football? Uh, from sort of 82 to 87 would get on now in the Premier League. Do you think they'd still be able to upset the apple cart as they
2: did before? Without a doubt. Um, I look at Burnley, I look at what Sean's doing there. And, uh, you know, he's played 4 4 how we used to play. So it wouldn't have been a problem with, with the boss putting a team together. We, we, we would have been more than capable in, in, in the league now. John Barnes can play at, at, in any time, any level, Without a doubt the best player I played with he would have been able Luther could have played Kenny Jackett could you know those could have played in this this, this football these days uh, Callie, cross a ball as good as anyone i 've still seen at Watford all through the years i 've been going or playing or cut he, he, he could cross a ball, but you know as good if not better than any of them so so John mcclellan he, he could have played those players could have fit in now I agree i mean there 's some really there 's a lot of internationals at Watford now. Some really, really talented players. Um, so it, it's always hard to compare because times change. But certainly those players would would adapt to to the to the circumstances or, or to whatever era they're playing in. Um, it's always difficult to compare, but uh, you know I still believe that uh, some of those players I played would would still do, do do very well now.
1: I'm just turning to the subject of Graham Taylor. It's a year and a bit since he passed away. I mean, when you think back to how you heard I mean it obviously must have been a, a terrible shock for you and everyone who had worked so closely with him
2: yeah. no it was uh, I was down in Swansea at the time and uh, just just couldn't believe it um, I got text messages and uh, it's still hard to take in now really I'm just sitting here with a book in front of me talking to you about the uh, it, it's really hard because I would say in, in everyday life I, I use something that the boss would have said or, or showed me without even knowing so he, he's you know he's still, he's still with us but um, uh, it's it's, it's uh, it still hasn't really sunk in, to be honest, you know, because, you know, I didn't speak to him regularly, but every now and then, if I needed to, I'd phone him and ask him a bit of advice and just to see him and catch up. And um, obviously, I had a big influence on my football career, but also my life as well.
1: I mean, the club continue to, you know, remember him. The stand is named after him. All those pictures are up. I mean, it, it's amazing, really, what the the Potsos have done. I mean, it's Gino Pozzo really, isn't it? In terms of, um, you know, what you think Watford can achieve and where they are at the moment I mean do you think they're on an upward trajectory I mean I'd obviously love to see them get back into Europe and, and get drawn against Sparta Prague again um, and level that one up but um, in terms of where the club is now I mean what do you think from an outsider and do people in football that you talk to sort of go what what what's going on at Watford is it, is it a weird does it have a reputation within the game as being a bit of a strange club
2: no, I think um, in the Championship when, when they had those players on loan and there was quite a lot of controversy over there but I think you know, you see now that the, the, the turnover of coaches at any club is, is high. So Watford obviously have, a, have had more, but it's no different. I mean, uh, a lot of clubs now will employ a head coach rather than the manager. So he will be just his role will be to coach the players. He'll have a, a little bit of an input into the players coming in, but that'll be part of the club, part of their recruitment um, department. So. It, it, it's, it's not a, you know it's not saying oh well, look at what you know they're doing something totally different it's, it's just it, it's a little bit different but I wouldn't say it's, a, it's not the norm anymore because uh, there's other clubs doing it as well where they're employing head coaches and I mean the players they've brought in I mean their recruitment is unbelievable you know they keep bringing these look at Ricarlison where he's come from they're fantastic they've got some good players they've got some really really good players I mean Dekour what a player he is you know I watch him oh dear he can run he can pass he can score you know they, they've got some really really good players. Um, obviously Troy's up front as well, but um, you know those two really really stand out for me at the moment. You know only young as well; he can only get better. Obviously consistency and all the things that come with it. But I do see, him, I still see him um, going forward. I think if they do get that maybe a little bit of stability with the coach and, and they're happy with him, and, and then they can kick on because the way they started this season, oh they can definitely be in the top ten, and who knows. Because that's the thing. Once you get in that top ten, you never know where you can where you can get. And certainly, if they keep improving the playing staff, and we're all hoping that they can. You
1: mentioned uh, Peter Kennedy giving you a Northern Ireland shirt. Um, you'll have your second division championship medal. I assume an FA Youth Cup winners' medal.
2: Yes, FA Youth Cup winning medal. Obviously, um, I didn't plan to play in the playoff final, but we got uh, a medal for, for going up. Um, obviously, the, uh, the the championship winner medal. Actually, the other proud thing, my first year as a reserve team coach, we won the Premier Reserve League. And so I jumped from being a player um, (laughs) when Ray Lou bullied me into taking the job, really. And I'm so thankful he did. He was brilliant with me. And we won that. So I'm really proud of that because that was the first time a non-Premier League team have won the Premier Reserve League. We won the Hearts Senior Cup. With that group, uh, the next year, so for my own coaching, uh, you know that was that was great. And then um, going on and, and winning the league for Reading, that was fantastic as a coach as well. Uh, and then coaching the Premiership a couple of times, but certainly as a player, I'd like to have won more medals. Um, but you know, just just to, you know, when you when you when you start out, you just want to you just want to play in the first, you just want to be a professional footballer. And then oh, i played a few, I'll just get to hundred games that I can be called a pro. Then the boss says I can be called a pro. You know, so you know, there's been so many things really. You mentioned
1: Ray Lewington there. You were on the staff when he was the first team manager. That must have been one of the most difficult times for the club of all of the um, 25-plus years that you've been associated with it.
2: Without a doubt. I mean, I was um, very fortunate for my own personal career as a coach that... uh, you know I had the grounding of uh, the boss and Tom and my father and, and, and other coaches I worked under, but certainly working closely with a manager and then Terry Burton came in as a coach so I had two of the best mentors to, to learn from and uh, uh, they were fantastic with me uh, on my coaching path and my coaching experience but to see Ray work close close up by having to cut the budget from from nine million which has been you know documented to three million and then still try and stay in the championship and be competitive was an incred- incredible achievement. Incredible achievement, you know how he got a group of players to fight. Dashi was part of that as well. new Cox, all those people, Neil Ardley, uh, come in and, and fight for the cause, and then have a have an issue with if you don't take a wage cut, we're going into administration. What a thing to have to go through as well. Not only the the players, but the manager as well, because he, he he's had to manage that, you know. Um, and then you know he just had a couple of really good cup runs in that the semi-final and it was incredible to, to, and, and how he remained so calm and so positive that was the biggest thing I, I, I mean he was obviously a fantastic coach you know obviously can manage as well but to stay so calm and focused and, and still keep everyone together was, was incredible um, and he did a brilliant job and the way he was sacked at Watford was, um, was not great either they didn't handle that very well at all and for all that he'd done for the club because obviously the results were going to be difficult because you can't sign on your players, and you're losing your best players again. You know, hang on a minute. And to, to get the, the, the money back in that he did, and the players t- took the cut 12% pay cut because I, I was part of the staff did it as well. That there was no guarantee we were going to get that back. That was unheard of, unheard of at the time. And you know, it was credit to the players, credit to the management team at the time. And uh, I, I thought he was really harshly dealt with it, uh, at the end. But what for fans are not daft and they, when he comes back, Ray gets a fantastic uh, uh, welcome, because, and so he should, because he did a brilliant job.
1: I think when I interviewed you for Enjoy the Game, coming up to 10 years ago now, you'd, you said that your support was on hold uh, because of the way that uh, Ray Lewington was, um, and, you, and yourself, you were, you were edged out of the door. Did, did that sense of disappointment, bitterness, almost did that linger for quite a long time, and, and when did you turn your your support back on, if you like?
2: Yeah, I said probably that my support supporters suspended because there's right and wrong, and there's good, there's proper ways of doing things, and we're grown-ups with men. And you can do things well if you don't want someone, just do it right, you know. But that wasn't dealt with very well. I wasn't dealt with very well, um, so I, I found it tough at the time because. You know, I didn't think I'd done anything wrong. I've been there 20, but anyway, that's that's been well documented. So, no, there's there's right ways to do it because in football there's change all the time, and sometimes your face fits or you want to bring your own people in. But that's football. But you can do it in a in in a proper way, as I describe it. And and neither Ray or myself was dealt with, and I I felt really disappointed in the way that uh, both things were, were handled. But you know, that's a long time ago now, and moved on and. They said going back to one of the first things we spoke about was the fans. They're always there. They're the constants. They're always there and they always will be. So for me, you know, obviously I want to see Watford do well. I'd love to go back there at some stage and be part of the staff. Nearly happened a couple, couple well, three or four years ago, but it wasn't quite right. Um, but obviously, we well, always look for their results and whenever I get a chance, go along and watch them.
1: Well, lastly, I was mentioning your shirt from Peter Kennedy and your medals and what have you. I gather you've got quite a memorabilia collection, uh, sort of a semi-professional collector. I mean, what what are the kind of the in the Nigel Gibbs exhibition at your home? What what are your most treasured possessions?
2: Uh, my wife would describe me as a hoarder. I think. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, I was when I was young, uh, obviously going to the games. With my dad, I, I was progr- I was a programme collector, so I've got thousands of programmes that uh, annoy my wife immensely. But um, you know, I've got a Junior Hornets membership when I was a Junior Hornet. I've got, in those days, I, I didn't swap shirts. I, I didn't feel comfortable swapping shirts. So It was only right near the end, and probably more now as a coach, when I've gone from my nephew. Or you know, I didn't really collect shirts. Uh, I don't know what I've got. I've got the scarf. I've got everything. I've got programmes. I've got uh, football. I've got loads of stuff. Um, but Sarah Preece from Watford Museum has bor- borrowed some of my stuff in the past. I, I, I've got loads of stuff. Have you got any of your own shirts You're from Watford? Uh, I've got a, a few obviously my testimonial shirts again we, we weren't allowed to keep them um, we had a kit man called Roy Clare and um, never forget the story if you, you probably know Lina, but we didn't wear long sleeves we weren't allowed to wear long sleeves and the only one occasionally was John Barnes because he was the best player Roy can, he didn't even get the word out it was a no um, but in a good way so, so no I didn't really keep, keep, much, uh, keep many of my shirts um, I have got some From your, from your time uh, have you got a favourite design of, of Watford home shirt I, I like the old Solvite one the, and I like the white kit as well there was, a, there was a white kit as well I really liked um, I, I can't remember who did that um, for the away kit but the
1: Solvite the one with the with the stripe That's, across yeah, the chest yeah,
2: yeah I mean that was my first and I, that, that stays with me I always like that um, the, the all red kit as well for the second kit I quite like the all black kit for the second, but that, that period was quite good that
1: would have been the Viali
2: year yeah, I think yeah I quite like those kits uh, although they wouldn't have sex times, but times uh, does it matter to the
1: players that you, you look kind of good in it I mean there's some horrible away ones, There was the burgundy one. There was no, the
2: one. I think I've got that one still. And there was the blue and check one, which was horrible as well. I think even the, um, the Centennial year, the home kit with it, I didn't like that kit either as well. You know, there weren't there weren't a great spell there. We had some bad kits. So I think the kits are so different now, aren't they? I mean, the players are so. Physically in good good shape as well, so it doesn't make much difference. But certainly, uh, I remember the, when I first started, the shorts were so tight, and and then the, and then another time, the kit is so big because XL fits all, you know, <laughs> one size fits all. And uh, so it's changed a lot. But um, I don't know, it's a good question. I, I'd have to think about that a little bit more, which of the kits. But uh, um, you know, l- long as I was in the team, it's an old, it sounds a bit you know, cliche, but I, I just wanted to play, you know, I just. Uh, you know it's, it's great when you see the fans coming in the kits as well you know it's great as long as it's
1: not orange and blue
2: can't do orange can't do orange cannot do orange <laughs> no um, it's a shame because my brother-in-law my, my sister is married to to Luton fan and they're actually good people <laughs> they're the only ones no um, no it's, um, it's I, I, I'm very much of the friendly rivalry you know I, you know, I, I enjoy rivalries. I enjoy derbies. They, they were great. And uh, but there, there is a line again. You know, there is a line. And uh, so we have quite a lot of friendly banter, as you can imagine, especially when Accrington beat them at the weekend. So that was good.
1: Well, before this uh, turns into a Luton Town podcast, <laughs> I think we should wrap up. Nigel Gibbs, thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Lonnie. pleasure.
0: So you've got to spend your, your time with Sir Nigel again, uh, Lionel, not for the first time. How do you feel after this one compared to the other times you talked to him?
1: I don't know whether I feel anything different from the first time. I think that there's something nice about these conversations in that they're not I'm not attempting to be completist. I feel like we could go and talk to Nigel Gibbs again in 18 months' time and have a completely different conversation with him. Um, but this is a kind of a covering as many bases of, of his time at Watford as, as possible. Um, I just think he's he's just a very friendly guy. You know, he offered to pay for the coffees. I mean, unnecessary offer that was. But not everyone that you meet um, in, in this kind of capacity does, does that. And you just know that whatever job he's got in football, once the first opportunity he gets, he will be seeking out the Watford score, you know, on every match day. And I think um, he is uh, he is Mr. Watford.
0: On the next catching up podcast, where we talk with people who played a part in Watford's history, whether on the pitch or off it. This time with Andy Hessentyler.
1: The ball was played to the gaffer, and there was there was my chance. So the ball was out. I basically went for it, missed. Completely missed the ball, took the gaffer out, flying up in the air on the floor, and then just stood over him. That's how to tackle gaffer, and he just smiled at me.
0: <laughs> so that's coming up in the next Catching Up via From the Rookery End. So make sure you subscribe. And if there's anybody else maybe you think we should catch up with, uh, then do send us an email uh, podcast at com. Thank you very much, Lionel. Thank you, John. Uh, and we'll be back uh, next month with another Catching Up with.